Welcome. The following message is from the pulpit ministry of the First Baptist Church of Festus Crystal City, Missouri. We welcome you to find out more about our church on our website at www.fbcfcc.org or check us out on our Facebook page at First Baptist Church, Festus Crystal City. Good morning. Good to see everyone here on this cold Sunday morning. I did not think it was going to be as cold until I walked outside and it was freezing. But that is great to be in a warm place like this and to see those faces smiling. Man. So thank you for those who went. Thank you for those who set it up. Um, and uh, we appreciate you. And I hope. One takeaway from this video is that you're ready to go. Um, we're not talking about being on mission, but as a church, we're always on mission. And so um, pray about how you can get involved in the next trip, whether it's local, domestically in the United States or abroad, or just how God wants to lead you where you are at in your workplace or school or wherever he has uh, this morning, we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 22. Um, and as you turn there, um, this is the time in the nation of Israel's history where there is a divided kingdom. Uh, God made a covenant with Abraham to make his offspring into a great nation, Israel. And God brought this great nation who had been taken to Egypt to save this people, who was then enslaved. He brought them out of Egypt through the leadership of Moses. Moses led the people through the wilderness then handed over the reins to Joshua. And after Joshua died, it didn't take long for the people of God to ask God, their leader, for a king. Said, you're all-powerful God. You're the God who saved us out of slavery. You're the God who gave us all these things. But we're good. We think we can do better. They looked around at the kingdoms around them and said, we want a king. So God said, okay. Here's Saul. Saul was an okay king until he got prideful and decided to do things in his own way. Then God took the kingship from him and anointed David. And David, we know as a man after God's own heart. Doesn't mean that he was perfect or that he did everything right, but he followed the Lord. And Solomon, he did some things really well, some things really poorly. Um, he was the wisest man who will and has ever lived apart from Jesus. And um, when he was following the Lord, it worked well. But once he turned his attention away from the Lord and pursued other things like women and possessions and things like that. And that's not to say women are bad. So don't take it that way. But his eyes were off of the Lord and onto limited possessional things. So then... God said, hey, we're going to not have this unified kingdom. We're going to have it taken away from David's uh, line, except for two tribes. So then we have two different kingdoms. The north is Israel that is made up of ten tribes, and the south, which is David's line, is made up of two tribes. So both kingdoms have really wicked kings. And occasionally there's one who fears the Lord and does what is right, but for the most part they're continuously turning away the people from the Lord. So as we pick up in 2 Kings 
chapter 22. We're going to look at the first seven verses here and then kind of explore those. So Josiah was eight years old, and when he began to reign, and his reign, uh, I'm sorry, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem, his mother's name was Jediah, and the daughter of Adiah, son, uh, daughter of Adiah of Bosketh, sorry, fancy words, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of David, his father, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. And the 18th reign, 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, son of Meshulam, the secretary to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected and the people, uh, from the people. And let it be given into the hands of the workmen who have oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the workmen who are at the house of the Lord, repairing the house. That is, to the carpenters and to the builders and to the masons, let them use it for buying timber and quarried stone to repair the house. But no accounting shall be asked from them for the money that is delivered into their hand, for they deal honestly. Let's pray. King Jesus, we just thank you for this opportunity to open your word together. God, that help us not to take it for granted that we get to open your word, that we get to gather as your people. Claim your name, that you are holy, holy, holy. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. God, remove me. Just let me be an instrument this morning. God, that your word would speak to our hearts. Change. We love you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Josiah is a good king. We see early on that he begins his reign at the age of eight. And I don't know any eight-year-olds who would be like, sign me up for that. Uh, maybe be cool, but because they would be like, I want unlimited nachos or whatever, but the, the reigning of this would be an impossible task. And we see in, in movies and such things like that, that oftentimes when there is a younger king, there's someone behind the scenes who's trying to control them, right? But King Josiah, uh, as Second Kings tells us, he does what is right in the eyes of the Lord, and that's the synopsis of his kingdom, his reign. And we see that he didn't follow after his father, his grandfather. If you were to look in chapter 21, you would see that they were wicked kings, that they turned the hearts of the people to false gods and, and, and rebelled against God. They worshiped these false gods, and only uh, Josiah's grandfather, Manasseh, he eventually, at the end of his life, humbled his heart and turned back to the Lord, but his dad did not. He continued to pursue these wicked kings. So when Josiah comes onto the scene, he re redirects the people to worship the Lord. He redirects them to, to fear the Lord. This task would totally redo and undo what his dad and grandfather had established. 2 Chronicles 34 also gives us a picture of Josiah's life. And in verse 33, or verse 3 of that, it tells us that at the age of 16, he began to seek the God of his father David. He started reigning at 8. And then at 16, 8 years into his reign, he began to seek the God of his father. Verse 3 and 4 continues and says, At the age of 20, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places the ashram and the carved and the metal images. 
And they chopped them down in the altars of the Baals in his presence. And he cut down the incense altars that stood above them. And he broke in pieces the ashram and that carved in the metal images. He made dust of them and scattered it over the graves of those who had sacrificed them. He was about the business of clearing out these false gods. He wanted to draw his heart and the people's heart back to the Lord. And at the age of 24, he begins to repair this temple after years of neglect during his father and grandfather's wicked reign. As they're repairing the temple, we're going to pick back up in verse 8. We're going to see what they find. And Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the secretary, the secretary's there to deliver the money and make account and pay all the people to get all of the, the um, products and things needed for the repair. He says, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan, the secretary, came to the king and reported to the king, your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house, and they delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan, the secretary, told the king, Hil uh, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the Lord, or before the king. Then the king heard the words of the book of the law. He tore his clothes, and the king commanded Hilkiah, the priest, and Ahikam, uh, the son of Shaphan, and Akbor, the son of Micaiah and Shaphan, the secretary, and Isaiah, the king's servants, a lot of ayahs in there, saying, go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people, and for all Judea concerning uh, the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to, do according to all that is written concerning us. So, they're repairing the temple, and Hilkiah, the priest, he finds the book of the law. We're not sure what happened to it, what happened to where, why it was hidden, whether it was just misplaced and over time just, you know, forgotten about, or if it was an intentional, let's remove it because of his father and grandfather's reigns of wickedness, and trying to lead the people away from the Lord. We're not really sure why, but God is a sovereign God who preserves his word for Josiah and even for us to read. And if we really think about it, the, the contents of Scripture, 66 books that span stories that occurred for at least 4,000 years of human history, that had 40 different human authors with diverse cultural uh, cultures, backgrounds, writing styles, uh, ways of life, genres, he used this people to write this book that we get to read that has gone over different translations over time that we get to open and study. Like how good is that? How miraculous is that? That we can read the word of God that was read in ancient times. So Shaphan, he gets this book and he reads it because Hilkiah gives it to him and then he goes back to the king and he doesn't go, hey, King, we found this book. No, he reports, hey, everything's going as planned. We counted the money. We, the work is going well. Oh, and by the way, the book of the law has been found. Like, oh, by the way, the word of the Lord is here. Sometimes, like, we do that, right? Like, we gather Sunday, Wednesday, and we open this book, but are we changed by this book? Are we living, breathing this book? Are we feasting on this book, not because it's a book, but because it's the word of God? 
I thought it was interesting that he didn't get excited about this massive discovery, but, but the progress of the work. The law of the Lord has been found. And then Shaphan reads it to King Josiah. Josiah hears this beautiful word, this convicting word, this wrathful word, this merciful word, and he tears his clothes and grieves. He responds in humility and grief and despair because the wrath of the Lord is great. Because the wrath of the Lord is kindled against his people. Because his family, his descendants, his fathers and their fathers, except for a few that feared the Lord, have been turning the people's attention and their hearts away from God. They failed to do what was written in this book. They have forsaken God. They worship false gods. And so Josiah hears this, and then he sends these group of people to find out what's in store for them. He sends these four, four or five men to go and hear what the Lord has in store. I lost my spot. So Hilkiah, the high priest, or the priest, and Ahikim in Akborn, verse 14, and Shaphan and Isaiah went to Hudla, Huldah, I'm sorry, the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikva, son of Harahas, Haras, uh, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they talked with her. And she said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, tell the man who sent you, thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants all the words of the book that the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be kindled against this place, and it will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard. Because your heart was penitent, and, you're humble, and you humbled yourself before the Lord, when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. Your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. They brought him back word to the king. So Josiah sends these men to receive word, and they hear this word and come back and tells them that God's going to punish the sin that has been taking place. He's going to bring disaster, and we know from history that the, the people of Judah were carried off into captivity, but because of Josiah's humble heart and tender heart and penitent heart, he was spared. He hears this word of the Lord. He grieves. He wants to go and hear what is in store for the people. And he doesn't just give up. And this is a bad judgment. God's going to pour out his wrath on us. Oh, well. No, he leads the people into a covenant with the Lord in, in verse, uh, chapter 23. 
He sends out for everyone, brings them here, and he reads the law to them. And they enter into a covenant. He makes the covenant to walk in the way of the Lord, to keep his commands, his statutes, his decrees. He helps the people understand that they've fallen short of God's glory. So the question for us today is when we read it, this beautiful book, are we grieved because of our sin? Are we grieved for the things of God in this book? The pages of this word tear us to pieces because we see how holy, righteous, and just our God and how sinful we are. Do the words of this book lead us to humility and a repentative heart? The word that moved Josiah in such a powerful way is still working. It's still active. And this word, as we see in John chapter 1, moved from his heavenly dwelling to reconcile, to repair the relationship that man had broken with him. In John 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word is Jesus. The word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him uh, was not anything that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And if you jump down to verse 14, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only, as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This word that Josiah was convicted and grieved came to die for our sin. He left heaven to come to earth and say, I'll take the punishment that they deserve, that is just and right to give them, and I'll take that. He did it so that we may have life and be reconciled to him. If we take the, 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 the things from Josiah's life and apply them to ours today, the first thing we'll see is that we must not neglect the word of the Lord or let it be forgotten or ignored. We must read it and love it. Joshua 1, 7 through 8 says, Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn us from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. Verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For, when, for then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. We have ultimate access to the word of God. We have multiple copies digitally, physically, probably laid all over our houses. How much time do we actually spend reading it, loving it, and drawing close to the Lord? About 10 days ago, me and some of the students were at the Passion Conference in Atlanta, Georgia, with about 55,000 of our closest friends in the Mercedes-Benz uh, Arena Stadium uh, where the Falcons play. And part of uh, every year that they've done it, there's some missional emphasis. So some years it's been to help end uh, slavery in our day. Um, 
the last couple years has been talking about Bible translation. Uh, according to Illumination, which is this group that is beginning the task uh, to translate scripture into all languages of the 7,000 plus languages spoken around the world, approximately 3,511 have little to no scripture. They're working to change that, and part of the opportunity at the Passion Conference was to help give, and we totally funded well, uh, uh, the Bible being translated into uh, the Amira, Amira language for the people group in southern Peru. Uh, you can find out more about Illumination's work at illuminations.bible slash 12bc, which is 12 verse challenge, because they do it 12 verses at a time. But could you imagine what your life would be if you could not read this word for yourself in your own language? This, this nation, this people group that we helped translate the Bible into had their first 12 verses translated in front of 55,000 people plus whoever was watching online. That was the first scripture they've ever had in their language. We have multiple copies and multiple copies that are present in our lives in the sense that they're physically there, but they may be more like what the people in Second Kings were looking at when the book of the law was lost. Because we're not opening them, we're not investing in them, we're not seeking them. Would we be a people that are grieved and broken and put back together? By the words of Jesus. The second thing is we must be changed by it. We see Josiah reading this book and encountering what the Lord has to say. And he's grieved. He's changed. His heart is softened. Humbled. 2 Corinthians says in uh, chapter 5 verse 17. Therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation. The old has gone the new is here. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the, word, to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Like, we are to be transformed and changed by the word of God. The last thing is that we must proclaim this. Just like these folks who went to El Salvador went to proclaim the good news, we have this awesome opportunity to proclaim the good news. Just like Josiah did in chapter 23. He didn't just read the words of the Lord and heed the words of the Lord. He acted upon it and charged the people to enter into a covenant with God. Are we going to do that? Are we going to heed God's word? Are we going to surrender all that we are and all that we have to whatever God has in store for us. Whether that means you are on mission in your workplace or God sends you somewhere else. Romans 10, 11 through 15 says, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are sent. You are commissioned with the task to take this good news, this great word, to the people in your life. doesn't matter where you are at. God wants to use you. It doesn't matter if our church is the church on the corner, if we're not the church in the world. If the people in our lives don't know who we are and who we follow because of this show us with our lives. We talk about it. We're consumed with it. Whether we're taking it to our schools, our jobs, our families, our sports teams, wherever we are going. Because when we truly know the God described in this book, we will also have a heart for the people around us. Because Jesus has that heart. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. This word, Jesus, is going to be worshipped and adored for eternity. So let us be a people that worships and adores Jesus and obeys his word now. Preparing our hearts for eternity. We're in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, where we get to say day and night, holy, holy, holy. When we gather together, let us be thinking about what's going on in heaven. Like when we worship, we're joining with the angels and those who have gone before saying, holy, holy, holy. Ultimately, we must revere God's word. God, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a God who gracious God. God that is wrathful and just in how he exer- how you exercise it. God, thank you that while we were sinners, you came to a place that has openly rebelled against you to die on the cross for our sins. Lord Jesus, we we ask you to do what you desire in our lives. God. We need to make a commitment to you. God, help us to make that. Give us the power and the strength to say yes to what you have in store for us. God, we love you. Pray this in your name, Jesus. We're going to enter into a time of invitation. We're also going to... Thank you for joining us today for another in-depth message into God's word. May God richly bless you. And we invite you to join us in person for worship at 815 or 1045 every Sunday morning. We are located at 107 North Truman Boulevard in Crystal City, Missouri.